Welcome to Montrose Bible Church. We're so glad you've chosen to join us as Pastor Matt and other church leaders challenge us with a message from God's Word. Well, Merry Christmas to everyone. And uh, we're privileged to gather together here on this Christmas morning to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm Jim Ferriner. I'm privileged to serve as one of the elders here at Montrose Bible Church, and I'm thankful to be, have the opportunity to open God's Word with you this morning. In early fall, a question starts to make its rounds. Can I start playing Christmas music right now? Some people are very excited to hear these familiar songs and carols on their playlist, and they can't wait to hear them. Other things... It's just plain wrong to listen to Christmas music until the day after Thanksgiving. They proclaim you can't listen to these songs until the Christmas season arrives. Whether your preference, the reality is that Christian Christmas songs offer hope to the listener. Does it get any better than joy to the world? The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Doesn't that ask the question of the ages? Will you receive your king? It's great joy to a needy, suffering, and sin-sick world. God came to take on human flesh. He has come. He has come on a mission to do what mankind could not do. He satisfied the wrath of God by taking our sin upon himself and by dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. Then he triumphed over sin and the grave by his glorious resurrection. He made it possible for you and me to be redeemed. He made it possible for us to be restored in a right relationship to our God. Have you received your king? Or are you still pretending to be your own king? The truth proclaimed in joy to the world is wonderful. Or what about God rest ye merry gentlemen? Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. O tidings of comfort and joy. Yes, indeed, we have gone astray and are trapped in Satan's lies. But Christ our Savior came. The news does bring tidings of comfort and joy if we know the Savior. What about the words to a lesser-known Christmas hymn, though we just sang a a variation of it this morning, In the Bleak Midwinter? In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan. Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Snow has fallen, snow on snow, Snow on snow, in the bleak midwinter long ago. Our God, heaven cannot hold him, nor earth sustain. Heaven and earth shall flee away when he comes to reign. In the bleak midwinter, a stable place sufficed. The Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. Enough for him, whom cherubim worship night and day, a breastful of milk and a manger full of hay. Enough for him whom angels fall down before, the ox and ass and camel which adore. 
Angels and archangels may have gathered there. Cherubim and seraphim thronged the air. But only his mother, in her maiden bliss, worshipped the beloved with a kiss. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring him a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yes, what can I give him? Give my heart. What is our response to the Lord God Almighty Jesus Christ? What can I give him? I can give him my heart. Yes, our only response is complete adoration and devotion. As another carol, carol encourages us, Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Many Christmas hymns and carols are full of great gospel truth. Our passage this morning is found in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 55. And I think that this is probably the first Christmas carol ever proclaimed. We're going to look at Mary's hymn of exaltation. But again, in the context, we're going to start reading in verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at that moment and kept wondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child should be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has the regard for the humble state of his bond slave. 
For behold, from this time on all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and set away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together on this day when we celebrate the glorious event of you coming to take on flesh. And Father, you came with a purpose. You came to be our Savior. We're thankful that you paid the price of our sin that we couldn't pay, that you have reached down and that you triumphed over sin, death, and the grave, and we exalt you for that. And we praise you. And this morning, as we just spend these few moments together in your word, may we be renewed and encouraged again to adore you, to worship you, to honor you with everything in our being. So as we come together today, we pray it is for your glory and for your honor. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hearing that you are pregnant is not unusual news for a young woman. That is, unless you learn the news from an angel named Gabriel. Unless you are a virgin. Unless you learn that your child is a son of God. Unless your son is a king who will reign forever. Mary's response to this news is amazing. Gabriel had told her not to be afraid because she had found favor with God. But let's face it. If you or I had received this news that Mary heard we would have passed out and be fine on the floor. Mary was not without questions. She was first perplexed by the angel's greeting, which we see here in verses 28 and 29. Coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed with this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation that was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. It's easy to understand that she is perplexed. First, an angel had greeted her. Second, she is called favored one. But the most stunning announcement is yet to come. But she remains calm and unafraid. Then she receives the joyous news that she is carrying a baby boy. Understanding biology, she did not understand how this could be as she had not been with a man. The angel let her know. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. That answered her question, but it still had to be as perplexing to her as it is to us today. But God was doing what only he could do. Knowing she was carrying a son in her womb in a day without ultrasounds is another complete mystery that few other childbearing women of her time would experience. She clearly had one of the most unique gender reveal parties. But we see Mary trusting completely in the Lord. A practical illustration is given to Mary to help her with the news. Verse 36. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her 
old age. And she who was called barren is now in the sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. This is the answer to help Mary with all her fears and her questions. And it's the answer to all our fears and questions also, isn't it? For nothing, I said nothing, will be impossible with God. Let me say that again. Nothing will be impossible with God. And just in case you're wondering, in the Greek, nothing means nothing. Nothing will be impossible with God. Not only was Mary pregnant supernaturally, but her cousin Elizabeth in old age had also conceived. Miraculous conceptions are experienced here by both Elizabeth and Mary. Elizabeth in old age had conceived, and Mary without knowing a man had conceived. For nothing is impossible with God. Do you remember this truth? Mary knew this truth from the Old Testament. Thinking back to Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Remember that Sarah in her 90s became a mother? Or what about Numbers eleven twenty three? The Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. Remember this instance, the entire nation of Israel was fed quail for 30 days from the Lord. And what about Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen? Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Again, nothing is too difficult for you. Remember when the Lord led Israel out of Egypt onto the promised land? He had led them out of captivity, but he allowed them at times to go back into captivity when they rejected him and restored them back to the land when they repented of their sin. The Lord God is all-powerful. We cannot forget this wonderful truth. Just over 30 years later than the event we're looking at right now, we see Jesus proclaiming this same truth regarding salvation in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Jesus is speaking here with his disciples of the difficulty of entering the kingdom of God. He reminded them that salvation is impossible apart from him. Do not forget, nothing is impossible with God. Our redemption depends on him because we are not able to save ourselves. For by grace we are saved through faith, not of ourselves. It is a gift from God. Mary, after hearing all these things from the angel, responds back in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary responds in faith. She acknowledges her position as a slave of the Lord. She rests in his sovereignty over all things. Her hope remains in the promised Messiah who is making his appearance on earth. She was seeing the promise of scriptures come to life. Pastor Jim McCarthy describes this passage in this way, and I like, 
I like this little phrase he starts with. Thrilling reversal. Think about this for a minute. Thrilling reversal is what Christmas is all about. God insists on showcasing his power through weakness and his wisdom through foolishness so that we would stop and stare, wonder, and worship. Thrilling reversal was this theme of Mary's Magnificat in Luke chapter 1 in which we see that God moves in mysterious ways so that we would give him all the glory. Well, in verses 39 through 45, we see that Mary goes to visit her cousin, who is six months along in her pregnancy. Everything we hear in this exchange is a confirmation to Mary that she indeed is carrying the Son of God in her womb. Elizabeth is used by God to encourage Mary. She has proved to Mary that conception miracles do happen. She reminds her repeatedly that she is blessed by the Lord. Elizabeth's baby leaped in her womb when Mary greeted her. Elizabeth gives testimonies of Mary's faith here as recorded in verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her by the Lord. Elizabeth reminds Mary that she is blessed because she believes that what the Lord has told her will come to pass. Mary believed what she had been taught all her life from the scriptures. She believed the promise of Messiah given back in the Garden of Eden right after the fall. Mary was being used by God to fulfill the promise of a Messiah. And now let's look at Mary's response in verses 46 to 55. This section is sometimes referred to as the Magnificat, which comes from the word uh, in this verse in Latin translated in the Bible. The word means to exalt and to adore. Mary's knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures and her knowledge of history is seen throughout this hymn of praise. We can learn from her time of worship and be encouraged by her and follow her example in responding to this good news. Again, in verse 46, Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. When we encounter the living God, we can't help but turn to praise and worship of him. Hopefully, as we have worshipped the Lord this morning through music and the word, you have joined in, right in and worshipped with your heart. Like Mary, it's my soul, it's your soul that needs to magnify the Lord. When we realize our hopeless estate, when we realize we are caught in the pit of sin, when we realize we are trapped in the cycle of making bad choices and going our own way, when we realize we are on a wide path heading for destruction, when we realize we are without hope, then there is hope. The light has come. Mary was carrying her in her womb the Savior of the world. God sent his son to earth so that we can experience salvation, hope, and redemption. Mary is rejoicing in her Savior. Mary has experienced salvation as she trusts the promised one. Mary exalts and rejoices in God her Savior. If he is your Savior, you cannot help but exalt, praise, and rejoice in him also. Mary knew from the scriptures that salvation had been promised by faith. And she experienced it in her own life. Salvation is also possible for future generations. Mary knew the words 
in the Old Testament from Hannah when she found out she was pregnant with Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks fully against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Like Mary here, we do not see Hannah focused on her circumstances. She has been looking and continues to look at the Lord, the provider of her salvation. Our focus needs to be on the Lord, not on ourself. When we do this, everything comes into proper perspective. We sometimes think this was an easy time for Mary to worship. We think she should find it easy to worship, but it's not really the case. She just found out she was pregnant and not married. She could have given herself over to worry, to fear, and many of the what-if questions of life. But she did not wallow in her human situation, but she trusted in the Lord. When we trust Him, we see Him for who He is, and we cannot help but worship Him. Mary also knew the words of David in Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Why would we not bless and exalt the Lord all the time after he has rescued us? Are we going to exalt ourselves instead? We are unable to rescue ourselves from anything. Are we going to trust in things that the world has to offer which will only pass away? None of these options make sense. Like David, let us magnify the Lord personally and let us also do it with others. Seek after him and trust him and he will deliver you from all your fears. Like Mary, let's exalt the Lord and rejoice in God, our Savior. Look, at me, look with me at verses 48 to 50. Mary continues, For he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. Mary acknowledges three things about the character of the Lord. First, the Lord realizes her humble state and demonstrates his faithfulness. The Lord is faithful. We've been looking at humility throughout our Advent study these past four weeks. Remember what the Apostle Paul writes here in Philippians chapter 2 in these past messages? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not require equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, but by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. Jesus demonstrates what humility looks like with his own life. 
Do nothing from selfishness or conceit. Regard others as more important than you. Look out for others' interests. These are counter to what sinful human nature wants us to do. We want to put me, myself, and I in the middle of the universe. We want the world to revolve around us. We want to take the place of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and put his crown on our own head. But that is foolishness. Jesus Christ shows us how to live. He obeyed the Father even to the point of death. In our Savior's obedience, we see God's faithfulness. Mary got to be an eyewitness of what humility and meekness look like in her own son's life throughout his time on earth. Then remember that concluding passage in Philippians, which we looked at last week? For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Like Jesus, we need to humble ourselves before the Father. We need to realize that we serve a holy God, and we are not holy, but are sinful men and women. When we humble ourselves in a way, we are at this point of rescue. We know we are drowning and desperately need help. As James says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. We will not be rescued until we realize we are hopeless. At that moment, the faithful God arrives to do what only he can do. Secondly, Mary knows that the Lord has done great things for for her. And we know the Lord has done great things for us. He is all-powerful and holy. The Lord does many things for us. He sustains us. He provides for us. He guides us. He gives us breath. He protects us. He leads us. He created us. And the list could go on and on and on. But can any of these compare with the reality that he saves us? He rescues us. He is Mary's Savior, and he's the Savior of all who believe. Third, Mary knows the Lord's mercy is upon all who fear him. She knows this from King, what King David had written in Psalm 103, 17. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. The Lord shows mercy to all who fear him. But it's even better to hear this. Mercy will be on your children's children if they fear him too. It clearly is a gift that keeps on giving. Your obedience to the Lord, or lack thereof, not only affects you, but affects your family and your family yet to come. It makes your obedience of utmost importance. We do not live in a vacuum, and we cannot live in a way that our choices do not impact others. So like Joshua, we need to proclaim, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Your godly example, or lack thereof, will affect your children, and your children's children, and a whole lot of other people as well. We need the Lord's mercy. We want his mercy, and it can be found by fearing and obeying the Lord. Let's be faithful to the Lord. Let's take a a look at this last section of Mary's carol of praise in verse 51. 
He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. In the first three verses of this section, we see Mary contrasting what she has learned from the scriptures about those who are proud with those who are humble. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down proud rulers from their thrones. He has sent the rich away empty-handed. The proud mock God. And yet, we remember that according to Psalm 2, God sits in the heavens and laughs at them. He scoffs at their foolish ways. These prideful men are like ants standing before man. God crushes them and their prideful hearts. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Nebuchadnezzar, once proud ruler of Babylon, demonstrated this. One moment he is reigning over the kingdom, and the next moment he is on his belly eating grass. The Lord brings down the proud, but exalts the humble. The Lord does not have to take away the wealth of the rich to leave them empty-handed. Even as the wealthy continue to gain riches, it doesn't take them long to realize that their riches do not buy happiness or bring peace. Their wealth cannot bring back their health or stop their aging process. They quickly learn their bank account and their 401k cannot bring back a wayward child. They are left empty-handed because the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. In contrast, we see the humble in a very different place. He does lift up the humble. He does fill the hungry. He does promote the humble. These things are predicated on the reality, on the reality that the humble fear him. They trust and obey him. Mary here in humility is blessed because of her faithfulness and obedience to the Lord. As she mentioned, all generations will count her blessed, which has remained true now for over 2,000 years. Mary's faith goes back to her forefather Abraham, who was given the promise that she was now a part. Look at verses 54 and 55. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. We see these verses referencing the promise given to Abraham back in Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. This promise given to Abraham and referred to as the Abrahamic covenant was the promise of the Messiah coming. A promise that Mary believed and expected. This promise which is the hope for all mankind. Now Mary knew that the long-awaited Messiah was only months away from being revealed to the house of Israel and thankfully also to Gentiles. I'm sure that Mary never dreamed she would have a part in the fulfillment of this prophecy. 
but she accepted it in humility. And belief that with God all things are possible. She could not help but proclaim the goodness of God and sing his praises. Hopefully, we understand a little better why Mary's heart was so full of praise. She, like her fellow Jews, had been waiting for the Messiah for many years. Now she knew the promise one was about to be revealed. Mary had experienced the goodness of God in her own life. She had experienced salvation. She was rejoicing in God, her Savior. She worships her Lord, for whom nothing is impossible. She exalts her Lord, who is faithful. She praises her Lord, who has done great things for her. She magnifies her Lord, who sows mercy to all who fear him. It is natural for one to praise and exalt the Lord when they have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. If you know the Lord, I hope his praise is constantly on your lips and that you are continually magnifying him with your life. It is indeed a testimony that you know him of your faith when we are people of praise and thanksgiving. It is evidence of your belief in God, your Savior. I'm not sure when you start listening to Christmas music, but after hearing Mary's Magnificat, I hope that her song of exaltation will be on your playlist not just on Christmas Day, but all year long. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for this wonderful illustration of the joy and hope that we find in your coming and the reality of your coming. And we see it expressed through Mary as she knew that she would be carrying her own Savior in her own womb. We rejoice, we have hope, we have encouragement, Father, and we can't help but praise and exalt you this morning as we gather here on this Christmas Day, the day we celebrate your incarnation. We give you thanks. And Father, may we follow after you wholeheartedly and with everything in our lives because there is no other option. Father, we don't want to be claimed fools. Fools say that there is no God. But we have seen your goodness. We've experienced it. May we trust you fully, live for you faithfully, and may we exalt you through our words and through our life in the days to come. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. I trust you've been blessed by the study of God's Word. For more information about Montrose Bible Church, visit our website, montrosebiblechurch.org.